Well, we are so excited for next week, uh, When the Devil Attacks. We're going to start a brand new series. You do not want to miss it. Um, And to be honest, I couldn't have asked the praise team to lead us in a worship song before that promo uh, any better. Um, We have a real enemy who is really uh, wanting to destroy us and tear us down. And uh, our flesh is warring against us, but we have an enemy, an external enemy uh, known as Satan or the devil. Uh, He is real, and he is an adversary that we need to be aware of, but I'm so thankful the war is already won. Uh, We have victory through Christ, but we are going to look at next week. Uh, We're going to spend a couple of weeks talking about when the devil attacks and what kind of adversary do we face and how has God given us the ability, the tools, the resources to defend against his attacks so we can see them coming and then know that we've overcome them through Christ. And so uh, Pastor Greg said it, excuse me, that line uh, is so powerful that when we go through those battles, uh, man, we're going to we're going to take a moment of praising him in the midst of a battle because we know we're not in that battle alone. Uh, that's a powerful, powerful truth. And so open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, this morning we're doing something a, a little bit, uh, kind of like a follow-up to last week. Maybe I'll say it that way. Uh, maybe you would call this, last week we called the message Made to Worship. Uh, this week is like Made to Worship 2.0. Uh, we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about a couple points from last week's message, and I'll explain why we're doing that in just a few minutes. But I do want to say just a huge uh, congratulations uh, to Mike and Kim, who Kim's not with us. She's with the baby. And so Mike and Kim welcome their new addition here just this week. And then also it's great to have... Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Where's Tim and Eric? There he is. I'm like, you, aren't you guys usually in here? Okay, in the back. Okay. So Tim and Erica also introduced, uh, brought their new, new one into the world. And so we're so thankful for you guys to have you guys with us. Congratulations to you. Um, it's so cool to see babies coming into the church. Um, and I, I just want to let you know. Uh, if you need to get your baby cuddles, right? And you need to get your kind of baby fix to any moms or grandmas that are you know, you're just done with bringing them home with you, but you want to kind of spend some time with them, okay? Um, and that's the cool thing about being a grandparent, right? You can just, you can sugar them up and hype them up and then send them home and just whatever. Um, but we are always uh, looking for volunteers in our nursery. And so if you need that baby fix, I'm telling you, it's a pretty great place to be. So, um, I mean, these guys are a little little for that yet, yeah, but soon they'll be in there. So, but no, I'm so excited for these uh, couple couples here and so many in the church recently that have brought in new, new additions. It's just so great how God gives new life. And so uh, this morning, uh, following up to last week, and I pray that uh, over the last week, you've really thought about ways and reasons that you have to worship. Uh, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the reason for worship. And if, you're, if you ever sit and think, man, do I really have a reason to worship today? Um, I'll be honest with you guys, like this week, the end of this week and yesterday, I was just whooped. I was tired. I was wore out from just things we were doing, trying to get some stuff done. And just, just one of those things, you know, where you just are just like, I'm just over it, right? I'm just, I don't want to do anymore. And in coming into this morning, I was praying this morning, actually getting ready, like, Lord, I don't want that to distract me today. I don't want my annoyance with things or my frustrations or my limitations to hinder what you're going to do. And we do that sometimes. We come into church And whether it's we put God in this box of he's got to move in this way at this time in this certain specific area, and then we quench the spirit because he wants to move in a whole different way that we weren't anticipating, or we're just going through things in life. 
And it can distract us and it can, it can take away from what God's wanting to do. And so I want to talk this morning about we have a choice to make that we can allow those things to either rob us of our joy or we can surrender those things to him and say, God, I'm human. Be with me in my weakness. But I pray that this week you've spent some time talking maybe between you and the Lord and saying, Lord, give me an understanding of what it means to worship. Like, why am I even worshiping you today? Uh, Again, as I already said, I want to spend just a few moments kind of following up to the message from last week. And what was really cool is following the message last week, I talked to a few people, and they were just kind of sharing some things that God was speaking to them on from the message or how God encouraged them or some things they were taking away from the message. And it was just like God was kind of leading me to maybe expound on a couple things so that we can all kind of have an understanding of what last week was about, what we wanted to accomplish, and moving forward in our Christian lives. And so to kind of get us going in the right direction, I want to go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 40. Matthew 26 and verse 40. We're going to read just a few verses down to verse uh, 46, I believe. And I want you to listen to what happens here in this moment. Now, let's set the stage. Um, some of you may already know you're, you're, you're what I call a pre-reader. Okay, any pre-readers in here? What I mean by that is you're reading the verses before I told you to read them. Anyone doing that? Anyone reading ahead or behind the verses? Like I said, go to verse 40, so you're like in verse 35. Like what's the context here? Because you're real spiritual, you want to know that. You're just diving in, right? And that's when I start reading, you go, wait, where's he reading? What's he even talking about? I was reading, I wasn't paying attention, okay? So what's going on here is Jesus is going to the cross, He's actually preparing himself to go to the cross. He's, he's had the Last Supper. That's already taken place. He's going to pray. This is the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that, that Luke records is that he, he sweat drops of blood. Right? That, that he was so in agony over this. He's praying over what's going to take place. And so he is going to the cross. He knows what's coming. And he brings his disciples with him. And I want you to look at what happens here in this passage. It says here in verse 40, And he comes unto his disciples... And finds them asleep. Now, why are they sleeping? Well, go up a few verses, as some of you already have done. It says here, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What cup? The cup of the wrath of God. He's saying, God, if there's, if there's any other way that I can avoid going to the cross, if I can avoid the beatings and the torment and the near death that should have killed others' experience, if I can avoid this, if there's any other way that your gracious, loving redemption can come to these people, if there's any other way, Lord, I'm asking that this cup would pass, that I would not have to drink of this cup. Jesus actually tells his disciples, remember the disciples, they were real big and bad? They talked a big game, right? Oh, I'll be the best with you. I'll do this. Peter had a big mouth, right? I'll, I'll do this great things with you, God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to war with you. I'm going to die with you, right? I want to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus actually tells them, you have no idea what I have to go through. You have no idea what I have to consume, the cup that I must consume. Who's he referring to? The wrath of God being poured out on Christ for us. So let's not just read through that. We read that and we go, let this cup pass. Okay, he didn't want to go to the cross. Do you realize that cup was full of wrath that you've earned? Oh, no, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. Go ahead and read through Romans. You know, the Bible says that those outside of Christ, the wrath of God is being stored up against them. That when they die in their sins, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on them. They're not getting away with anything. 
And you and I who are in Christ, we didn't get away with anything either, by the way. It's not like, oh, I got a grace card. I'm good to go. No, that grace that was extended to you that you received that brought you salvation cost Jesus his life on the cross. See, that wrath he consumed was for you and for me. And he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, but I love this line and we read this, but man, what if this was more than just a verse on a page? What if we prayed with consistency? What if I prayed? I'm not saying this as though I've done this perfectly, but what if I really prayed this and then actually asked God to allow me to do it? Look at it again. Not as I will, verse 39, but as thou wilt. Lord, do you think he, humanly speaking, was looking forward to this experience? That he wanted to be beaten and tormented and a crown of thorns and crucified and nailed to a cross? No. But he's saying, Lord, I'm willing to endure that because it is for your glory. It is your will. And I will submit to your will no matter what it costs me. I mean, if we're going to understand worship, worship is a lifestyle. And sometimes the greatest way to worship is to say, I'll give everything. I'll pour out everything for you. I want your will to be done. The best way to worship him is to say, I'm in submission to you, Lord. He goes on. He's asked his disciples to watch with him. That means to pray with him. So he asked them to pray with him. He goes off. What does he do? What's Jesus doing when he leaves the disciples? Watch with me. He goes over. What did we just read that he's doing? He falls on his face. And what's he doing? He's praying to the father. By the way, if Jesus, the son of God, God himself thought it was important to spend time in prayer with the father, I think we should spend time with God, the father in prayer. But what do the disciples do? Look at verse 40 again. He comes unto the disciples and finds them asleep and saith unto Peter, what could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Do you see from the first prayer, and we know this prayer was more than this, but we're reading kind of a summary of that prayer. Do you see how the prayer is starting to change even from a human understanding? It says, is there any other way that this cup pass from me? In the second prayer, it's almost as though he's accepting, Lord, this is what I must do. Your will be done. It goes on to say this in verse 43. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand when the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. That's, that's you and I, by the way. That's not just the Roman guards. That's not just Judas. That's not just Pilate. That's you and I. It says, betrayed into the hands of sinners, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these words in our hearts and minds. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would understand what not only is going on here in this passage with the disciples, but, Lord, how it can be applied to our lives today as followers of Christ, as disciples. There's, no, there's not categories as followers of Christ. There's not regular Christians and then serving Christians that we call disciples. Those that follow you are somehow in a higher category than those who are just average Christians. Lord, you are calling all believers. Anyone who's in Christ is a disciple. We are all called to be disciples and to make disciples. And so Lord, we as your disciples, as your followers, we want to learn what's going on here so we can apply it to our lives. We can see and understand how you interact with us in moments in our life. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would open and illuminate our hearts and minds to these words and then also show us, Spirit, by your grace, how to know how to live these things out in a way that would please you 
that would bring glory to the Father. We pray that you would affirm these words, bless your word, and allow it to encourage our hearts and minds. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray they would not think that coming to a church and being religious is going to do them anything as far as gaining merit with you or forgiveness of sins. There is only one way unto the Father's house, and that is through the work of Jesus Christ, by receiving the death, burial, and resurrection through the gospel, receiving that gift of salvation for themselves. It's not a heritage thing. It's not my parents are Christian, so I'm automatically in. It's not a, I'm an American, so therefore I'm Christian. I'm a good person, therefore I'm Christian, therefore I'm going to heaven. Lord, it's, it's personal acceptance, repenting of our sins, and trusting in Christ. And I pray, if there's anyone here that hasn't done that, Lord, that they would make that decision today before it's everlasting too late. Lord, you are a loving, gracious God, but you also are a holy, just God. And one day there will be a judgment. And those who are outside of Christ will be, will be cast away from you into a place called hell. But those in Christ, not for nothing we've done, but because of your great gift, will be ushered into your kingdom in great joy, peace, and rest. And so, Father, again, if we have no other reason to worship you today, may we worship you for that alone, that your grace has saved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, again, is speaking of that night that Jesus is betrayed. Now, note some things here. We kind of opened up about talking about this. But when Jesus returns the first time, what are the disciples doing? Okay, Jesus just fell on his face. He's in agony. He's in, he's in suffering. He's crying out to God the Father. Is there any other way that I don't have to receive this cup? I'm going to die for these sinners. And he goes back to the very sinners he's going to die for, and they're sleeping. They won't even pray with him. And I love, who does he call out of the group? He identifies Peter. You notice that? Now, this is interesting. Peter, if you've never really studied this out, the disciples, the 12 disciples are kind of grouped in like little subcategories kind of. It's not like God didn't love them all the same, but you see different ones doing more or being more involved, right? Peter, James, John, we could say Andrew, were kind of that inner circle. They were always with Jesus. It seemed like the Mount of Transfiguration. They're there when the other disciples are not. Peter was kind of like the spokesperson for the disciples, wouldn't you love him to be your spokesperson, always speaking on your behalf, okay? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. John MacArthur hits the nail on the head with this one. Peter is the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? It's just he always said things. But if we're being honest, though, have you ever read something by Peter and went, yeah, I'd kind of think that. I wouldn't say it, but I would think that, right? So Peter is the spokesperson for the apostles. Now, remember, Peter's been pretty, pretty boasting, right, pretty proud. I would die with you. We're not going to do this. Uh, he takes out the sword and he cuts the guy's ear off, right? He's just, oh, I'm Peter. I'm really tough. Peter was so big and bad, he couldn't even pray for an hour. Jesus calls him out. So again, it reminds me that when we get all proud in our spiritual standing with God, just remember, it's by grace you are saved. It's not, don't get all, nope, no, careful. Because God has a way of knocking us down a few notches. And so he calls out to Peter, and I love this. He says, you would not even pray with me for an hour. Man, that's convicting. Just to be honest with you guys, I'm not saying you have to pray for an hour. There's nowhere in scripture that says you are required by uh, Christ to pray for a certain amount of time. His point was, I'm doing this. I'm praying. I'm in agony. I'm doing all this. And I asked you guys just to pray with me, but you couldn't do that. So what does he do? It says he wakes them up and he encourages them, right? Pray. And then he says this phrase, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away the second time and he prayed. He comes back. What are the disciples doing? This is where everyone should be very thankful. I'm not Jesus. Because I'd be like, we're done. 
nope, we're done. I asked you guys to pray with me twice. You keep falling asleep. Forget it. I'm not dying for you. You're not even worth it, right? That's what my human mindset would be. But we're going to talk about a little bit here. How does Jesus respond to this? You see, I want to start here because I think we as believers can find ourselves in the same place. We want to do what God asks of us. But as Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to draw our attention again to a familiar topic, but I pray it renews your mind this morning. When we talk about being made to worship, we have to understand there is grace. There is grace. When our desires, if you're taking notes, when our desires do not match our ability, when our desires do not match our ability or maybe our, our production, what we do, our actions, we, we have desire, but we don't seem to be able to fulfill it at times in our lives. There are seasons in life where our desires do not match our ability in regards to our walk with Christ. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's times in my life as a follower of Christ, even as a pastor, where I have great desire to do what God has called me to do. I want to do it. I desire to do it. I get joy in it when I'm following him and fulfilling what he's called me to do. But there are other times where I have all the desire, but I fall flat on my face and I, or I, don't, I just don't do it. I just choose to not submit. Now, I know maybe I'm preaching to the wrong crowd, but I know in my life that's been true. See, most believers, it's not a desire issue. It's a performance issue. It's a desire to actually take the desire and then go do it. So what do we do when we find that? When our desire is there, we want to, but we can't seem to do it. I talked last week about our church culture in America today being focused on short messages or church services that cater to the convenience of the people that attend. Kind of a get them in and get them out mentality. I talked about how a lot of times people have this mentality when they come to church that it's more about what I get out of it than what I give to it. It's about make the service comfortable for me. Do the music I like. Do the type of service I like. Do the message I like. Preach on the things I like. Don't preach on things I don't like. By the way, it's not even popular in church culture today to tell you that Jesus' blood covers your sin, that he died for you, that, that, that you're a sinner in need of salvation. That's not popular even in some churches today. The, the reality that there is a place called hell, and anyone who is not in Christ will be cast into that place for eternity in a literal place of judgment. Not because God is vindictive or mean or angry, because he's holy and just and sin must be punished. That's not even popular. And so some people will go to churches based on what they hear or rather not hear being preached. And while I do believe, as we said last week, the heart of the believer is still key. We talked about this mindset that comes into some churches, but it's the heart of the believer that is really key. Let me ask you this way, or maybe say it this way. Why are churches catering to people in this regard? Because the people have demanded it for so long. Churches finally went, okay, we'll give in. Now, I'm not saying the churches aren't responsible and pastors aren't responsible. I'm just saying it's also falling on the people of the churches to say, okay, maybe we got a little responsibility here as well. In our culture today, there is a very big consumer mentality when it comes to churches. It's, it's we shop for churches like we shop Amazon for a certain product. Or we shop and compare a Walmart, Amazon, local store, this, this. And we look at all of them and go, okay, which one's the best deal for me? That same consumer mindset, a lot of people in our country apply to church. What church is going to give me the best of what I want? And we check the boxes. And I'm not talking about people that say, I want a church that preaches the word. I want a church where my kids can get discipled and encouraged. I want a church where there's love and, and encouragement among the people. 
where they worship God freely. I'm not talking about that kind of a checklist, right? Those are good things to look for in a church. Or somebody says, well, I left the church because they weren't preaching sound doctrine. Okay, that's difference. What I'm talking about is this very surface mentality we come in the church with sometimes. And I, I talked about that last week, and I want to expound on that just a little bit because I, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about and what we're not talking about. Again, I believe that, that every believer, their heart is key. As Scripture makes it clear that people will become, I'm going to give you two verses you can jot down for time's sake. We're not going to turn there, but you can jot them down. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 talks about those who have become, quote, dull of hearing. They're dull of hearing. Or they can accumulate teachers, which means just gather up teachers to themselves that will tickle their ears, 2 Timothy 4, 3. This happens today as well. Those who are dull of hearing or who desire teachers that will teach what they want to hear. The message, kind of interesting, the message paraphrase Bible, it's just a paraphrase, it's not a translation, but the message paraphrase for 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, fill them up with spiritual junk food. I like that. Fill them up with spiritual junk food. See, that's what some people are looking for. I just want to go somewhere where I'm just going to get filled up with the junk food. Put it this way, when my kids were real little, if I let them have mac and cheese and chicken nuggets every meal, they're good. Like that was, when they were real little, they were like, yeah, that's cool. But we know as parents, we have to feed them more of a balanced diet, more of a nutritious diet. And there's times when kids don't want to eat what's before them. Now, some of you guys got off easy, some of the younger ones in here, okay? Some of, some of you that are my generation or maybe a little older might know, when I told my mom or dad, I don't want to eat this, does anyone want to guess how that conversation went, how that dinner went? They said, that's fine. You don't have to eat it. You can just go to bed hungry. My mom, one time, I threw a big fit. I was probably like nine or 10, and I threw a big fit. You know, I'm not going to eat this. This is nasty. And she said, you're going to sit there until you eat that. And I was thinking, okay, you're not really going to make me sit here all night. So I sat down, and I was like, fine. And in case you don't know this about me, I can be kind of stubborn. So I'm also a hair sarcastic, a little kind of mean at times. But anyway, I have all kinds of character flaws. Let's not go there. But, but I remember sitting at the table. For, it was like two hours. It was going to be like 9, 9.30 at night. And I was like, I'm not budging. She's not budging because she's just as stubborn as I am. And then finally, I'm like starting to get sleepy, you know, and I put my head down. She goes, okay, you can go to bed. And I'm going to my room thinking I won, right? Like, I, I knew I'd beat her, you know, because I'm 10. I know everything. So I go in my room, you know, and I go to bed. Next morning, I get up for, for breakfast. So I come down to the table. Guess what's on the table for breakfast? Exact same thing I wouldn't eat the night before. And I said, I don't want this. And she said, well, then that's, that's breakfast. And I was like, so let me get this straight. If I go to school and come home after school today and I want a snack, she goes, this is it. So some of you guys got off easy. Like when you were like, I don't want to eat this. Your parents were like, okay, honey, that's fine. You don't have to eat that. My parents were like, my mommy's told me time, I'm not a short order cook, right? You'll eat what's before you or you won't eat it all, right? That's just... Yeah, amen, yeah. Now, as a parent, there are times I'll admit I've been weak. I'm like, just please eat two bites of it, please. Just eat a little of it, please. Okay, but when you think about this idea of spiritually speaking, man, if God only gave us the junk food, meaning the things that were super, super pleasant to eat, we enjoyed, it was, you know, it was kind of fluff kind of stuff. I'm not saying it's bad things, so understand what I'm saying when I mean this. If, if all we ever heard was the love of God, is the, by the way, is there a love of God that provides grace unto salvation? But if that's all we ever heard, man, that we're missing out on a whole counsel of God's word. We're missing out on a lot of what God's word actually has for us. 
And that's what I mean here. Sometimes we'll get teachers together who will tell us little snippets of God's word that sound really good to us, that when mixed together sound like really pleasant to us, but we don't hear the teachings when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you. Oh, what's that? You want to follow me, but you just bought a lot of land and you want to go sell that land and then you're going to come follow me? That's okay. You're not really a follower of Christ then. What, you want to go home and say say bye to your parents because you want to say goodbye to them before you travel with me? That's okay. You're not really my follower. If you were my follower, you would just follow me. I mean, these are harsh things that Jesus said. And when we understand them in context, we see they were actually blessings to the followers, but it's hard to digest sometimes. And that's what I mean. Sometimes we want to just get the things we think we want, and we miss out on the food, the spiritual food we really need. So I do believe that happens in church at times. I do believe there are people that are in churches that are that way. However, I want to be very clear that there are times in life where you desire to hear the word of God preached. You desire to pray. You desire to study and so on. But as the disciples experienced, their desire didn't match their actions. You want to hear God's word preached. You want to dive into God's word. But whatever's going on in your life right now, it's just a season that you just get distracted or you can't get into God's word. Don't beat yourself up. I want to encourage you with a verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. I'm going to turn there real quick. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 15 and 16. Such a powerful verse. It says this, For we have not a high priest, Hebrews 4, 15, For we have not a high priest which, is, which cannot be touched with our feeling of infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus called his disciples, as he calls us, to give our very best effort, to put in the work, to commit to following him. But at times in our lives, for whatever reason or whatever season we're in, our desire is there, but we just don't follow through. And so how does God respond to that? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says that he understands our weaknesses. He understands our limitations. He understands that we're human and we're flesh and we don't always do what we're supposed to do. And I'm not saying it's okay to, to say, oh, it's no big deal. I'm saying there is grace for you. He says, come before the throne of grace to receive mercy. And I love that it says at the proper time, at the right moment, at the right time, he will give you the grace that you need. He extends grace to them to the disciples, and he extends grace to us. When Jesus comes that last time, that next time, and they're sleeping again, what does he do? Does he wake them up the second time? No, he says, go ahead and get your sleep. You need your rest because there's some things coming you need to be ready for. Do you see how Jesus gave them grace? Were they being obedient? Did they pray like they were supposed to? Man, you ever, you ever beat yourself up for not being a quote-unquote good Christian by not reading and praying enough? And you spend days missing out on devotions because you're beating yourself up about how bad of a Christian you are. And then you miss a couple more devotions and you feel really bad about missing those devotions. Now you're a really, really bad Christian and you haven't gone to church because you feel bad going to church because you're not a good Christian who doesn't do his devotions. Round and around, Judy, absolutely. You need to, whoa, 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 throw the brakes on. It's not saying, yes, we need to be in God's word. We need to be praying. We need to be before his throne. But man, we need to pause and go, no, God, you know what? I, I missed that time this morning. I'm really sorry for that. Thank you for the grace that I'm not kept in my salvation by doing devotions. 
I'm not kept in my salvation by praying every day or twice a day or three times a day or ten times a day. I'm kept in my salvation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That keeps me in my salvation. So what do we do when our desire doesn't match our ability? We do a heart check and we move on. What do I mean by that? Sometimes work distracts and we can't attend church as we desire. Sometimes we pray and fall asleep because we are just so tired from the the day or have had a hard time focusing in the morning. Sometimes we set aside time to spend with the Lord and someone or something distracts us. And it's not a bad distraction. It just happens. And we're just finding ourselves missing those windows. And we just, we, we get frustrated and we don't like it, but it happens. The truth is these kinds of things happen to all of us. And when they do, we don't beat ourselves up. We do our heart check and we move on. What do I mean by that? We look inside and go, Lord, where's my heart? Where's my desire? What do I want to do in this moment? Yes, I'm distracted. or I got taken off course. But Lord, you know my heart. Help me to stay true to you and make sure that my desire is actually what I think it is. I remember being in college and I used to work for the campus. And I would work 11 at night till 7 in the morning. And I did that from Thursday through Sunday night. Okay, so I did four days, 11 to 7, 11 to 7, 11 to 7. And then Monday morning, I had to go to a 7.30 hermeneutics class. And hermeneutics is basically the study of how to interpret scripture. Okay, and I can't remember the professor's name. He had been there for a, a while. But I remember I'd go to the hermeneutics class at 7.30 in the morning after working four days, 11 to 7 every night. Okay, I get off at 7, got to be class at 7.30. And I usually did pretty good. But I remember one morning, he was going into one of his squirrel hunting stories. Okay. He lived in Arkansas, used to hunt squirrels or something. I don't know. I I don't remember because I fell asleep. That's the point of the story. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, you know, this is just so rough. I was just getting so tired, and I fell asleep, which is a really big no-no, like, in a college class when the guy in front of you is a doctor who could kick you out of the class for falling asleep, at least at BBC that was that way. And I woke up to the sound or to the image of him looking right at me and freaked me out. And I instantly did what every good college student does when they wake up in class. They go like this. Act like you're taking notes. Like, oh, no, I was just looking down, taking notes, because I'm totally awake of what's going on. I felt so bad. I mean, he didn't, he didn't say nothing, nothing. He just turned around and kept teaching. I don't think he even knew I was sleeping. I think he was just looking in my, like, general direction. And isn't, isn't conviction this way, by the way? Wow, this is kind of a good Holy Spirit moment, I guess. But, but you ever have that where you're in church, and, and whether it's me or someone, or you're listening to a podcast, or you're studying something, and, and all of a sudden it's like, man, everything you're reading is just hitting you right in the face, and you're like... How does this person know what I'm, they don't know. They have no idea. It's just the spirit of God working. But anyway, so I go to him after class and I feel really bad. And I'm like, man, he's going to get mad at me. He's going to be upset, you know, whatever. So I go up to him and I said, listen, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I, like I, said, I forget his name now. I said, I'm, I'm really, really sorry that I fell asleep. I said, I, I apologized. I'm really sorry about that. I don't know if you knew or not. I'm really sorry. More or less, please don't kick me out of class. Like, and he looked at me, he said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, what, what's going on that you're so tired? Like, is there something I can pray for you about or something that's going on right now that is maybe making you so tired to come to class? And at this point, I felt it wasn't a good idea to tell him that his squirrel stories didn't help. I left that off the table. I did not go there, okay? I was like, "Mm, you're being real nice. I'll leave that off. And I looked at him and said, well, actually, I said I work for the school and we're up every night till 7 in the morning. And I just got off this morning. It's been a really long weekend. And he looked at me and said, I'll tell you what. He said, we only were allowed like four excused absences in that class for that many hour class. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, first of all, thank you for what you do working for the school. We really, really appreciate that. And he said, I'll tell you this too. If you ever need a morning off to rest, 
let me know and I'll give you more excused absences than what we're required to give you because I just really appreciate what you're doing for the school. Now that in principle, I want to draw the principle out of that. Man, my desire was not to fall asleep in class. My desire was to learn and to grow in Christ and to study. But my ability, because of whatever's going on in my life, I wasn't able to fulfill that in that moment. Because why? I'm weak as a human being. I have limitations. And just like these disciples, I really believe they wanted to pray. But man, it says their eyes were heavy. Man, they were just tired. Could you imagine hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years? I mean, crowds of people constantly coming, like you didn't know what was going on. So I imagine they were just human and just tired. But don't we read that passage and we kind of look down on the disciples a little bit? Oh, come on, guys. You couldn't pray for an hour. You couldn't, Jesus is going to die on the cross and you couldn't pray. And I think sometimes we've got to step back and realize there is grace. See, this professor could have handled it a lot of different ways, but he chose to give me grace. And then he went above and beyond. He didn't just say, okay, you're fine. Thanks for apologizing. I appreciate it. He said, I'll go a step farther. How can I help you in this season of right now what you're going through? Working 30 hours a week, taking 18 hours of class. You know, how can I help you with this? Guys, that spoke volumes to me. And I feel as though when we come before our father and go, God, I'm so sorry. You know, my desire is this, but I'm just not able to do it, not able to fulfill it. I believe God, as Hebrews 4 says, extends to us an invitation to say, come before the throne of grace. So the first thing I wanted to kind of speak to last week was, yes, there is that culture in churches today that people tend to get very self-centered and give me teaching that I like, tickle my ears kind of a thing. But I also believe there are times in our lives where just we have all the desire, but just things happen in our lives, whether it's work schedules or family situations or whatever, and we just can't do what God is calling us to do in that moment. I'm not saying we should just fluff it off, but I'm saying when we fall, there is grace. Another thing I want to look at just quickly. Someone asked me, I said, I'm just going to follow up from last week this morning. And they said, well, if you're just following up, it should be a shorter morning, right? I said, well, we'll see how that goes. Another thing from last week I really wanted to kind of touch on was that not only is there grace, but worship takes all forms. Worship takes all forms. Uh, It moves beyond labels. It moves beyond labels. And we spoke last week about the key to worship being to worship in spirit and in truth. That when we worship, we can have joy as we celebrate all Christ has done in giving us life and purpose. And I, I pray that's true this morning. I pray that you came in this morning and I said it. I was kind of really like just, oh, I don't really want to get up this morning. I don't want to do this again. But I came in this morning. I said, no, Lord, I want to have a joy. I know it's been a crazy weekend, but I want joy this morning. I'm not going to let that distract me. But sometimes we don't make that choice. Sometimes we do get caught up in things. That's why we have to go deeper and say, no, Lord, remind me of the reason I worship. Not because it's convenient, but because there's a purpose greater than me. And it's that you died for me, gave yourself for me. I worship you. I lift you up because you're worthy of this. I made a reference last week to a certain style of worship that some of you may have grown up in. Uh, I imitated a traditional music leader singing a hymn. And I'll say I did it poorly because it probably was pretty poorly done as far as what it would really look like. But I wanted to touch on this real quick, and it was great that somebody actually shared this with me because I'm glad that they said this because it made me realize I want to be clear on this. While I do believe that some groups or churches, that there is an emphasis or maybe an overemphasis on emotion, there can be an effort to be void of all emotions 
as to not appear like this or that group. There are churches or denominations that overemphasize emotion. It's all about the experience. It's all about the outward show, right? It's all about doing this or that outwardly so that we all know you're worshiping. But there's also, in some churches or groups, have been an overemphasis to be void of all emotion as to not appear like this group over here. So I'm just going to say it. I'm not gospel-centered. All of that is fine. But some more charismatic churches might be in the side of overemphasizing some emotional experiences. And some of us that grew up more Baptist or more Baptistic in our churches— we were on the side of less emotion. And it was not okay to show a lot of emotion unless it was during the gospel songs. Then you can get as excited as you want. But other than that, it was very serious. Those are kind of the two extremes. And in a desire to not look like the other, they went that way. But I want to be really clear here. While that could be true, and I do believe that's true, and we've seen that in churches, I want to be clear that any music style, any label, traditional, contemporary, hymns, Worship, whatever style music we call it, it can be worshipful. If the content is Christ-centered, we can worship in spirit and in truth. So it doesn't matter. I I hope I want to make this clear. I wasn't saying that, that someone that grew up in a traditional church with traditional music and a song leader, somehow that's not as worshipful as having a band. The point is, sometimes we can sense a lack of emotion, or in some cases over emotion, and we start to adapt to that. And I'm just saying we need to have joy when we worship the Lord and understand that the music style is really preferential and irrelevant. It's the content that we need to focus on. And I was sharing with somebody last week, I saw a video from a revival service that took place in the 60s. This is going back a ways. And people were just worshiping and worshiping and worshiping. And the altars were full and people kept coming and coming and coming. And it was this amazing move of God. And the songs they were singing were the most traditional, simple, basic Traditional hymns you could imagine. Because why? God can move when his word is preached and Christ is emphasized, right, to the repentance of sin and the salvation of Christ. It doesn't matter what music you want to throw up here. It's God moving, not the music moving. We've got to understand that. So I want to be clear on that after last week. It isn't the music that we focus on. It's the content of the music. It's the why are we using this or that music and what's the purpose of this? When you read Psalms, by the way, you don't just read about an organ and a piano, right? I mean, you read about cymbals, high cymbals, all kinds of instruments. There's even one called a sackbut. I don't know what that is, but I love saying it, okay, because it's a sackbut, okay? That's just awesome. That's on recording. To all you online, thanks for joining us. Your pastor just said sackbut, okay? Okay? But you read about all these beautiful instruments. Why? Because God gave us music to reflect his glory and his praise. And so we use it for him. The idea is worship is centered in Christ as an expression of the heart. I'm going to go to one more passage before we wrap up. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Go all the way over there. And Paul's writing here, Ephesians 5. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. Um, this would actually be the church that Timothy, if you read First and Second Timothy, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so, or you could say maybe one of the pastors. I would say he was the pastor, but, but he was a pastoral leadership there at the church of Ephesus. And so Paul's writing to this church. He's trying to encourage them in their worship. He goes on to say this in verse 14. It says, wherefore, he says, this is Paul writing again to the church, Ephesians 5, verse 14. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee lights. 
See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. goes on to say this, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, in the King James, maybe some other translations, the phrase, speaking to yourselves, uh, it gives us the wrong implication. We think of that as speaking to myself, right? Like talking to myself, which I do all the time, okay? It's okay. You can talk to yourself. Try not to argue with yourself and definitely try not to argue with yourself, arguing with yourself. Okay, that's just your coworkers are not going to think that's cool. They're going to be concerned. Okay, so, but speaking to yourselves here, really what it means is speaking to one another. Remember, he's writing to the church. So speaking to yourselves, speaking to one another. Okay, so sharing in one another's worship. This is referring to church worship as the body of Christ. So we're talking about as you come together, as the body of Christ, this is what you can do to worship. Paul gives us three different types of worship. This is not exhaustive. This is not the only way we worship, but these are examples of how to worship. So he lists three things here. He says in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms would obviously be understood as the Psalms. This would generally be accompanied by an instrument. So they would actually recite or sing the psalms, and that would generally be accompanied by an instrument. Hymns, these are songs of praise that were directed uh, to God, specifically directed to God, direct praise to God. Spiritual songs is more of the broader scope or the broader term. Uh, This is the general term for lyric pieces. Um, Spiritual is added to mark them being uh, restricted to sacred Subjects And so in Paul's day, they had songs, all kinds of songs, but he says spiritual songs. So he's saying the songs, that that idea of using music that way that we see in the world around us, we're going to take that and we're going to say it's spiritual songs. The lyrics we're going to sing, the content is all directed towards God. Spiritual marks the type of song that it is. Okay. And so note that, that, that this wasn't uncommon for the culture. There was music and songs in their culture. But what changed what it was about was the content. No, these are spiritual songs. We're adding that to make sure it's clear who we're talking to. So again, they're added to restrict the sacred subjects, though not merely to direct praises of God, but also containing exhortations, prophecies, etc. So it's also not only just, okay, I'm directing all this praise to God. It's also we're declaring things to each other about God. Okay, so you see a kind of a good mix of an understanding of what worship can be, not only in music, but also in life. There's the idea of just getting in his word. And I remember hearing about a missionary that said that they were in a tribe that had no music, no music in their tribe. They had no, no instruments, no nothing. And they read about, you know, this New Testament and singing and praising and even the Old Testament, the idea of singing. And they were like, what is this? So the missionary wrote down some songs, came up with their own little songs and tried to teach them these songs. And the tribal people basically after a few weeks said, that sucks, we don't like that. I mean, I'm being, that's the John interpretation of that. But, but they said, this is horrible, we don't like this. So they said, well, what do you want to do? And they said, well, God likes his word, right? And the missionaries were like, well, sure. And they said, well, why don't we just sing God's word back to him? So they would open their worship service by going, okay, go to Matthew 1. And they would just 
sing <laughs> whatever was there or just recite it however you want to say it. So we see God's word being emphasized in worship. We also see hymns. These are any songs that are direct praise to God. So we acknowledge who he is. We're praising him. And then spiritual songs are a broader term, sacred subject songs that seem to talk about not only direct praises, but also general exhortations. And so Paul gives an example to the believers of the church of how you and I can worship as the body of Christ. See, again, it's not about the style of music. Paul doesn't say, and by the way, only use these instruments. Or by the way, hey, the world uses pianos, don't use pianos. By the way, that was an argument when congregational music was kind of starting to adapt music from uh, the world as far as using pianos and organs. Some in the church said pianos are used in the world. We shouldn't use pianos. So it changes over time, but it's not the instrument. If we get focused on the instrument, we miss the point of why are we worshiping? Paul gives some examples here. But I also want to point out, don't miss that that example or encouragement to worship does not end with verse 19. We read this and we go, oh, verse 19, once it says, hearts of the Lord, we're done. But that's not how the verse ends. The passage continues. You see, it's not a period there. The thought continues. As I read this passage, verses 14 through 21, as examples of worship as well. To be filled with the Spirit. And with thanksgiving to the Father for all things, in submission or a voluntary attitude of giving in and placing under another, to one another are acts of worship. When he says in verse 20, give thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's worship. It's not just music. It's not just singing. When I stop and go, God, thank you for all things, that's an act of worship. When I submit to one another in the church and I fall under another and elevate somebody over me and I say, I'm going to serve you and honor you and lift you up and sacrifice and just give whatever I can to help you, that's worship. When we do these other things that are talked about here, when we, when we understand that we need to look around us as not as fools but wise and make godly decisions that would please him, that's worship. See, it's more than just music. It's more than just a style of music. It's the heart of the worshiper coming together in spirit and in truth. And so what do we do to worship? We worship him in spirit and in truth. And for what purpose? For his glory alone above all else. And so I wanted to spend some time this morning just kind of walking those things out, clarifying some of those things that I pray would be an encouragement to you. And I pray that you would understand that, listen, if you're in a spot right now where your desire is one thing, but man, it's just for whatever reason, there's something in your life right now that's just distracting away from that. All I would ask you to do is just pray for wisdom. God, are there any ways that I can restructure my, my day or my week that I can work that time in, that I can make time for you? God, thank you that when I don't always do what I desire, there's grace to forgive and redeem. And again, some people say, well, that sounds like a get out of jail free card. It sounds like it's okay. No, I never said it was Okay. It wasn't okay the disciples fell asleep when Jesus said to pray for, with him and for him, but he doesn't rebuke them. He says, get up. You can do this. He comes back another time. When they're sleeping again, okay, take your rest. See, God is a God of grace. Yeah, he challenges us. He pushes us. He desires greater things for us. He equips us to do greater things. But when we don't follow through as we know we could in Christ, there's grace to lift us up, to dust us off and say, okay, let's move on. Let's, let's, how about tomorrow? Let's focus on tomorrow. Let's make a different choice. And so I'm so thankful that he understands my weakness and my limitations, and he offers grace to us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are just so thankful. Father, we're more than thankful for your grace. We're thankful that you 
or a high priest that is touched with our infirmities or our weaknesses. You know that we have the desire in Christ. We're saved and we're redeemed and we want to please you and honor you and, and do what you've called us to do. But Lord, at times in our lives, things get in the way. Lord, some here have had to work jobs where they've worked thirds and to even get up and get around by the time church comes around, Lord, it's so difficult. Lord, then they get in the church and their desire is to be encouraged and to be engaged with the word of God, but they're just so tired. Father, some have other distractions that come into life, Lord, and they're not bad things. They're good things. But sometimes, Lord, just our desire doesn't match our ability. And I pray that when that happens, that we would not allow the flesh or the enemy to tear us down or to beat us up, but that we would be reminded that you know our weaknesses, you know our limitations, We confess those things to you. We ask for the grace that you offer to us, that we would receive grace and mercy in the proper time. We ask you for the strength to stand back up, to get back to where we need to be. We ask you, Lord, to encourage our hearts and minds because if our heart condemns us, you are greater than our heart. And Lord, I pray that we would see that we can do by your grace what you've called us to do. So Lord, wherever this is applying to someone's life this morning, I pray pray that it would encourage them and bless them and strengthen them. Because, Lord, I know this world, Lord, it needs us to be followers of Christ who are committed to you. And so, Father, I pray that we'd be be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. But, Lord, also that we would know that when we stumble, as Romans 7 talks about, that when I do what I don't want to do, but I don't do what I want to do, and all of that, that we would realize that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not okay. We don't, we don't justify it and just say it's no big deal. We realize it's a big deal, but we know that your grace is there to pick us up. So, Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in all this and apply it as it fits in each heart and mind. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as God has encouraged you and strengthened you? I pray that you would maybe come and pray. Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, help me to have the right heart in worship. Help me to realize that your grace is for me. If you're beating yourself up for some reason, God does not want you to do that. He wants you to know there's grace for you. So however you would respond, would you respond?